Hello, and welcome to the Character Arc Podcast, where each week we talk about a movie we just watched. Uh, we start off by giving a general synopsis of the movie that is colored by our opinions of the film. Then we open to, up into a more general discussion. After that, we'll talk about any changes we would make if we were the ones making the film, and we'll end with our final thoughts. Um, I'm Richard Bertelson. I am Ted Hong. And joining us again is a very special guest... Aaron Summers. Welcome, Aaron. This week, we watched The Peanut Butter Falcon. Come to my wrestling school and become a badass. That's what he wants to do with the rest of his life. Yes, it is. You let a half-naked boy with Down syndrome who has no idea how to get along in this world just slip out from under your nose. You two are close. We are. Well, then you'll figure out where he's at, and you'll bring him back. Let me ask you guys something. Are you the good guy, or are you bad guys? I'm going to give a generic non-answer that proves that I am a brooding protagonist. Good idea. (laughs) (laughs) But first, we have to start with our synopsis, guys. All right, here we go. Uh, Two runaways, uh, see, here we go. Two runaways recreate Huckleberry Finn. Indeed. I would say that a... Degenerate redneck known as Shia LaBeouf plays a <laughs> fisherman who absconds with a boy with Down syndrome. Shia LaBeouf is upset about accidentally killing his brother, so in order to seek redemption, he tortures the livelihood of several commercial fishermen and then kidnaps a mentally disabled person, constantly putting them in danger. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> I want to jump right on accidentally kills his brother. Yeah. Um, hey, we got uh, there... Just so, well, artsy-fartsily, yeah. but also, like, you didn't know what happened to his brother. His brother could have died in any way. This is, we, we, his brother's not a character in this movie, by the way. His brother is someone that we see in very dramatic, silent, over-music flashbacks of them just, like, laughing and smiling and touching each other so that you know that they love each that other. they love each other. Just and, <laughs> over the top. I was just like, all right. <laughs> and when they finally show you what happens, the movie's been so much of this. And it kind of hits so many, we're going to jump into indie tropes. It, it, it touches on so many of these, like, cliched, I'm a, I'm a deep and meaningful movie moments. That when it shows him kind of drifting off to sleep in the car in one of these flashbacks, and they don't also show you what happens exactly, but you know that he ran out the car off the road, and that's how his brother died. My eyes rolled so far back in my head that I could see the people behind me. It's like... <laughs> Oh, we're just going to... We're doing this. We're doing... We're doing um... I, I mean, I think it would have been better if they just didn't show anything. What like happened you, at all? That, yeah. What, that would have been fine. I mean. that yeah, been because fine. they already allude to the fact that... He's dead. He lost... Yeah. I think they even mentioned it. The the three guys that were chasing or something. Somebody said something. Well, when we meet Shia LaBeouf's character, um, that old man sits down next to him and says... This isn't what Mark would have wanted. Mark, your brother, he's dead now. Yeah. (laughs) Not the first time, not the first time in the first half hour of the movie does exposition with a giant red flag attached to it just fall out of the character's mouth. It's very clunky dialogue. People are, characters are constantly saying things to each other that they all already know. And the problem is there's nothing really wrong with the plot of the movie and the the acting is charming. Yeah. Like you do on you do feel the friendship that develops between these two characters. But, you know, Shia LaBeouf does a fi- does a good job and so does I don't know who plays Zach, but he does a good job as well. It's just when they speak, it's so on the nose, at least most of the time. 
And then between those are endless montages of them being endearing, which that's actually, the, that's what makes it effective. Not, I was going to say, yeah. Not always, but you could have done with less of it. But it's more effective than the actual dialogue that leads to character changes. Like, how did you guys feel about his decision? Because they meet because Zach runs away from, uh, Zach has Down syndrome and he's living in a retirement community, like an old folks home uh, assisted living facility. And he runs away to become, to go to a wrestling school. And then he encounters Tyler, who is Shia LaBeouf's character, because he hides on a boat that Tyler uses to escape after he burns some fisherman gear. gear. And then as we would expect from Tyler's character, he gets him so he doesn't he's not a complete asshole so he doesn't let him die in the ocean, but then once he's on dry land again, he's like peace out. What actually makes Tyler turn around? Oh, it was the the well, we know that he has to go back uh, to avoid incarceration because the guy that gives him a ride later on tells him that they're stopping cars down yeah. this highway. However, you know... He doesn't have to go back. He doesn't to have back. to go back. Exactly. Right. They could have very easily just uh, made that believable by just giving a really good reaction shot of him looking uh, up at Zach who's about to get pushed off uh, a 20-foot dock into the water. It doesn't... You don't see that character have that change. I would like to see Tyler be more frustrated and have, have a reason why he kind of feels like he needs him there, but be frustrated like he is in that first scene in the cornfield when they actually decide to... They commit to traveling together. I would like to see that more and develop the bond From he there. builds slower instead of just pretty much after that scene... He just suddenly loves Zach and is like protecting him. Like he's got to lower his defenses more. Right. Like we need to see that process. But I will accept these leaps if they give me shots of Shia LaBeouf punching children in the face. I was which they say, did. Definitely. That's my favorite scene right there. I know we're going to start off right there. Favorite scene. And how about that kid? Little kids are little kids and little bullies are little bullies, but he was fucking homicidal. Right, when you when you find out that he can't swim, even if you're a kid, he wasn't five, yeah. he was 13 or 14. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. I thought bullies were only evil and like Stephen King stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going pretty, we're, we're moving down the plot and they need supplies, so Shia LaBeouf decides to go into the little gas station or convenience store, and this is where I'm going to start by posing, I have a couple things to say about that scene. But first, when does this movie take place? Because it's like 1800s. He grabs a couple things off the shelf, and the guy just starts writing on a notepad. And, I mean, I mentioned this before, but, like, I've lived in lots of rural places. And that even when I lived in them in the 90s, people didn't do that. I, I think it was early 2000s. There was a flip phone on top of that. It kind of lends weight to, like, the sort of... I guess more rampant back then in terms of like social, like people weren't as well informed. So you got that 13 year old picking on someone with Down syndrome. And you can get, it maybe makes it slightly more believable that someone with Down syndrome wouldn't have anywhere else to go. Although I imagine, I mean, also I would jump on the idea that Zach seems like he probably could be self-sufficient maybe with like a social worker who checked in or something like that. Right. He didn't Whereas really now, need yeah. to be confined. Mm -hmm. He was a capable person. And the but, movie made sure you knew that. How did you feel, Aaron, about the little meat cute between Shia LaBeouf and is that Dakota Johnson? Is that who that is? That, that her name. is meat the cues. Dakota Johnson. Yeah, you're not familiar with the term meat cute? Meat cute? 
Yeah, the thing it's when two people in a romantic comedy meet for the first time, usually by some weird circumstance that's a little unnatural. <laughs> I mean, it's cute. Yeah. Uh, the kind of refined uh, woman who, uh, from the movie's point of view, has a bit of a stick up her ass being hit on by the dashing rogue and you know eventually throughout the movie you know she's going to give in to him because hollywood doesn't know how Even to though write women that makes no fucking sense but we'll get back exactly to that. <laughs> i mean yeah like he sees her he insults her in like three different fucking ways and then he starts hitting on her at least in that scene, she responds appropriately. She gives him the finger yeah. and whatnot. But again, we'll get back to the later part. And he was but... just like, Ooh. yeah, I like that. Uh, do you know what? Jumping on the tropes thing, I think that, I mean, the whole movie was, the plot was, it wasn't anything new. Like, if you looked at it beat by beat, like, I knew where it was going to head. Even toward the, the, what is it, the ring toward the end. I know I'm jumping a little bit, but how yeah. it ends up squaring off. Uh, I was like, yeah, okay, I knew that was going to happen. Someone um, someone definitely watched a bunch of indie movies and plugged in their own plot to the same beats yeah. without earning the flow of the plot or the well, character development. I, I wouldn't. Part. Okay, maybe not the character development. But yeah, I mean, as we, I think we all agree, it was charming. Do you, Aaron? Do you agree I that it was know, charming? You, there's a little bit of apprehension there. I agree that, you know, parts of it were charming. Other parts of it, I don't know, I found slightly condescending but that's getting more and more into uh the bigger questions of this movie but you know sticking with uh the scene the supply getting scene or right after it you know we're talking about contrived character motivations yeah uh and the plot being pushed forward this guy decides that he really really wants to go with a mentally disabled person after learning that there are people out looking for him who care yeah. for him that want to take him to safety. He almost enjoys it more that that, that, yeah, he's that like, he has he's absconded uh, with this person. Right. Yeah. He almost gets a joy out of There's... it, which is crazy. And you could say that you know he's trying to be a big brother because he lost his. Yeah. Okay. Like See, I, I jumped they, to that too. But if they does... drew up that that theme better, then that would then, be a, that would mm. make sense. That would be a good theme to try to go with. But the movie just didn't do a great job of yeah. drawing those parallels, I guess. Because right. you know, whenever they had uh, John Bernthal, completely waste in this movie. Yeah. Not one. Yeah. Never says a word. Line. Never says a word. Not one. Yeah, they don't show. He's a good actor. They don't show him being a big brother uh, quite the same way that Shia LaBeouf ends up being a big brother. Did you not see them touch shoulders and laugh? See, but I think (laughs) the reason why, because in some way it kind of like puts it up on some sort of like fantasy level where it's just it's higher than it actually is, right? Could be romanticized in Shia LaBeouf's character's mind. Yeah, like he's romanticizing it more so. Like, of course, you know, there's going to be a lot of good points. But yeah, I mean, that that scene really does pose a moral question because, like, he knows that there are people looking for him and he didn't really want him to be with him. Like, I think this is not even to the point where they actually bonded. It was just that he started listening to him. Right. There was not. Yeah, because it was just right after the cornfield, right? And then suddenly when he finds out he's missing, they're. And then he decides to. I don't know. I guess it, it is kind of like revealed at the he's, end. It's like, oh, you're just like me. We're running away. He so says that he's excited now because he's a convict. Like, he, it's almost yeah. like he thinks he's cool now. But but that doesn't help Tyler achieve his goal in any way, shape, or no, form. Not it at doesn't. All. 
I don't see how that would just fix Tyler's like broken heart. Uh, also, just bef- we're probably gonna get off that scene in a second, but before we do, what was Tyler gonna do had she given him her number? He is currently walking down the east coast of the United States without seemingly any communication device or address. Did he intend on going much, on a date with her? Much like what he did with his hat, you know? <laughs> Just kind of put it in his pants. Well, if this was uh, the 90s, there'd probably still be uh, paying phones available, maybe one per small town that they might run into. Sure. Also, maybe he considered it, uh, you know, a decent backup if for whatever reason um, his plan didn't work out. Or, you know, a way to get rid of the kid after he fulfilled the whole wrestling thing. Hey, another another point that if the movie played out that idea that he had, like, this backup plan, I would have enjoyed that. If, yeah. he were, um, if there were a reason for him to be using Zach, so that's why they stick together... And then he had this backup plan because he could call her at any moment. You kind of got this idea that he was a he was kind of a shitty person. And then them actually traveling together, it grew into him actually realizing that this is a shitty thing to do. And then he has that character arc of realizing he can't do that. But instead, he goes from being a depressed person to being the best big brother ever and doesn't really ever change again. Because that happens in the first 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And I mean, when did he get any indication as to what Zach's life is like? He seems to basically have Zach's entire life figured out enough that he thinks he knows better than Dakota Johnson, like what's best for him. Yeah, in such a way that, that you one ins- of the first long conversations they have, he just insults her again and the responsible things she's trying to do. Like, you know, the movie again makes that leap of just, oh, well, he knows about the wrestling thing, so maybe he does know more about him than you do, even though she knew about it too. See, I think they were trying to show the point that, you know, it's like not treating him as if he were weaker, but they that's we don't a, really and that's see a good, that. That's yeah, a good yeah. message that the film has, but, um, but why he, he brings that about that's what doesn't I mean. make any it's sense. It's not reflected in him at all. Yeah. Yeah, I, I personally love how both of them trick him into dunking his head underneath the water so they can argue, argue about, about how it. not to condescend to him. Right. <laughs> how long was that? Long. <laughs> so, okay, character motivations. How about her? Why the hell doesn't she just take out her flip phone and call AAA after the kid yep, throws away her That's exactly keys? what I thought. Because she's suddenly, he's like, we're going down the river, or we're going down I don't, uh, the bay, to get to this place, and because Zach throws her keys, which I, actually I want to step back. Still water, oh. like nothing was moving. That you could just go out and look for it. I actually want to step back just a second before that because she finds them in the middle of nowhere. She just drives past, and it's actually hard to see him laying in the ground in the shot. I let alone you. her driving by. Is like, oh, there he is. From crotch view is where she saw. So she, she saw some nondescript. <laughs> tidy whitey. Tidy whitey. Like, that's, oh, that's, that's him. him. That's him. But she hits every place they've been. She's like a master tracker. She hits that. She hits Jasper's house. She hits the. You know, she hits every place they've been. As if she's like they're all in the same she's road. She's like reaching down Aragorn style and like tasting the dirt and she's like <laughs> getting to them. Which also the bad guys do the same thing. They find that same place the next day and they're like bottle of moonshine that's empty. It must be them. Must be Labuff. <laughs> But anyway, back at that, yes, I thought the same thing, which is that just because the keys were thrown in doesn't mean you get on a boat with a stranger when you are tasked with bringing someone who might be in danger back to the place that cares for them. Right. You can 
as you said, call AAA. You can call your boss. You can call the police. You can do anything other than get on a boat. Right. (laughs) The logical, that's the logical. Right. It's not even, it's the, it's (laughs) It's not even a a real boat. (laughs) With a complete stranger who doesn't necessarily look like he's in the best place in his life. Right. And has given you absolutely (laughs) nothing but derision and a hard on. But I'm gonna trust him enough to go up, go out to see you. With also, what was, was is there a deleted scene when they start having fun and you know they lure her into having fun because she's just uptight and all she needs to do is relax, according to the movie it would seem. And they're on a barge. Whose barge is that? Yeah, whose is that? What? That's another very good question. <laughs> there was never a person. Just show me a person in the back, like smoking a pipe, so I can be like, okay, they must have talked or something. The barge was empty and then like was the barge abandoned just take the barge the rest of the way did you steal the barge well why would you abandon the barge where did this barge come from well, someone someone wrote these plot points in these moments thinking of how it looked and sounded to them and not actually putting into not reality. developing the story in a lot in like a a way that actually flowed and was logical yeah, yeah I, I just shudder thinking about the dog-eared copy of huck finn that was next to their laptop most of the time clearly the movie is i don't want to call it an adaptation it's <laughs> no it, at best it pays homage yeah you only know. you know you read the book and you like huck and you like jim and well, well I, like I, I, liked, like... <laughs> I well i did i can't say that i like the protagonist necessarily i mean i like zach but I liked the perform. Like I do think that Tyler was endearing enough. But again, like all the other characters, for the most part, how we got from one scene to the next made him feel like not like a real person. Yeah, there were gaps, uh, definitely. I was gonna say that I did like his character. Uh, there was a very short sequence when the movie's like, "No, we assure you, it's not only white people in this movie." However, that... uh, the Baptist. Baptism? Part. Yeah, that also, uh, if, if that's what they were trying to go for, they kind of fell on their face because they made the old black guy not only a spiritual healer, but blind, so he's like double magic. The That's <clears throat> how it works in movies. You have to be blind in order to be able to... And the movie increasingly gets that way, the sense of like mysticism, but also none of the tone of the movie... Like, you could do that... Like, I understand you're describing the trope of like the magical minority who... It's a, it's a thing where, yeah, essentially, like in a lot of cases, white writers will be like, no, I'm including people, and I'm not derogatory towards them because look how magical they are. But the problem with that is then it ta- makes them not people anymore. It makes them not complex humans, so it's in its own way sort of insulting. But I feel like the movie wanted also to lean into the sense of it being surreal. But the movie also never commits to that in a way. Because you could go the whole way where like this is like, this is its own magical uh, realism. But because kind of at the, the, I guess the climax of the movie, when Zack is in the wrestling match and he lifts the dude who is like 350 pounds over his head and just tosses him and he flies really far... Well, I understand what tone the the writer and the director think that they're bringing to us, but it nothing about the movie other than maybe Jasper suggests that this movie isn't supposed to be realistic. Yeah, and I mean, they say that he's strong, 
once when he's pulling Shia LaBeouf out of the river after they're almost run over by a shrimp boat. But, uh, the strength. There's a it's, it's the How it's touching on Down syndrome is... Both there's a there's a very strong. there's a very specific yeah. term that I don't think anyone wants to say oh, right I now. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And yeah, it's a little insensitive because you could have ended that scene in a million different ways. He could have still knocked him down. He could have still won that match. Or what I was hoping would happen was that Tyler would realize he got Zach into a really shitty situation and has to jump in and save him because that's kind of what I was. Then the for. theme of the movie would be no, Tyler. You live in this fantasy land where you can just. Yeah, it's great. Like, your ideas of how to support him are great. But you also have to listen to her some, too, because she's also right that he does need some guidance by a responsible adult. What happened is Tyler thought he was so right and so smart and so much better than her that he gets him into a real dangerous situation, and now he has to save it. But instead, that's not what we get. We get just an out-of-nowhere ending where, you know, again, those two villains who are also master trackers just come up and hit him in the head with a freaking tire iron right and we don't even get to see any of that climax happen we just fade out dramatically and fade back in is he dead like this could have been remedied in some in the flashbacks in some way i really (laughs) wanted him to die and not just because i don't like him or his character it's i wanted there to be exactly what you were talking about richard i wanted something to I wanted some sort of reality to fall on his head because I, too, was upset that the movie was allowing his recklessness to and his selfishness and his arrogance to just keep paying off. Yeah, There yeah. was no real opposition for him to be challenged in his way of thinking. Because, like I said, the only change he makes is he goes from being this, like, heartbroken sort of... He's not really an asshole, but he he maybe kind of acts out because he's so depressed. And then he changes to being this big brother, and that happens at the very beginning of the movie. So by not having him punished for being this for turning so idealistic so suddenly, he never makes an actual character arc. Character arcs don't happen at the beginning of a story. Character arcs happen through what they've experienced in the story. The events and the people around them change them, and it didn't happen in this movie. Well, no, he is an asshole, and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I mean, ultimately, if you like, yeah, realistically look at what he did throughout the movie, he is kind of an asshole. But I just mean, like at the start, I don't know if they were trying to communicate that he's an asshole. I think they're trying to communicate that he kind of lost his way a bit. Well, what I'm saying is that he burns those cages out of spite, and also, you know, projecting his guilt. And when he finds out that he accidentally burned down basically the entire dock. That he didn't just fuck over the two guys that took over his brother's shipping fishing license. He fucked over basically anyone that makes their livelihood there. How how concerned does he seem to be about that rather than, oh shit, I really need to get out of Dodge. But did you see the montages of them laughing and having fun? Because... Yes, I mean, (laughs) he is really nice and supportive and not nearly as uh, condescending to the mentally disabled person that he kidnaps later. So he's definitely got that going for him. I want to jump into the, I mean, maybe it's, to me, it's the last one, but uh, you guys may differ and that's fine if you have more. But uh, the major character leap that happens, which is right before... Tyler severely endangers Zach's life, and he's sitting in the car with Dakota Johnson. What was her? Eleanor was her name. And he just leans in to kiss her in, what, in a 
way that she should view as horrific assault because she doesn't like him or shouldn't like him. She didn't like him for most of the movie. And but she's fine with it. She's totally into it. And I don't. You didn't see that lingering shot she shared with him. But I, I'm, I'm just saying, like you know, I'm not. The movie obviously doesn't paint it as anything anything untoward per se. But that's my problem is that she should even if she started to agree with his sentiments towards Zach and understand, yeah, he needs to be supported in kind of a different way so he can live a more fulfilling life. There's still nothing about their relationship that she should be like, oh yeah, he's totally someone that I need to get connected with this unemployed, rambling, like hitchhiking hobo who, who <laughs> committing has, multiple crimes. <laughs> yeah, has two very unsavory looking fellas uh, pointing guns at him and torching his shit. Possibly hasn't showered for, I'm going to say weeks to months. I know the movie only takes place in like two days, but he was he was already deep in it when the movie started. They showered in the ocean. <laughs> that counts, right? Yeah, and you know, the moment that this asshole gets rewarded for his asshole dude behavior, he fucking handcuffs her to the car. Which, unnecessary. Yeah, I didn't see any reason for him to do that. He didn't want her to stop it, but she didn't have the power to stop it anyway. Like exactly. well, yeah. But I'll There's... tell you why she had to be handcuffed to the car so that she could see the other two guys coming up. Why she needed to see the other two guys coming up, I don't know, because it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, she yeah. doesn't stop it from happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to build tension. It's to build yeah, the thing. That's yeah. exactly what like, I was just Like, you know, say. Hitchcock would have done her grandmother's favorite movie director. But I think it's what you touched on earlier, like you mentioned it, Aaron, is that the movie doesn't have to have them fall in love. There's, it doesn't have There's to. No need, you can yeah. have two characters who just grow respect for one another if you do it more naturally than this but they don't have to kiss and fall in love and decide that they're going to go to florida together because also she has a whole life and is they paint her as a more responsible person than this this doesn't make sense where are the but then she throws it all away yeah yeah well and is also probably a criminal now because because she has act two and he's a ward of the state you can't just do that once you take him across state lines you're talking about a federal felony yeah hey her husband died all she does is watch old people also die like i guess you know she needs to completely reinvent her life too i almost thought when they got into when it showed that that sort of last shot in the car that they were gonna like spread his ashes because you the movie makes you think he might be dead and so they go to florida i thought they were gonna like spread his ashes in that estuary he talked about I mean, that would have also been a dumb ending. But let's talk about the ending a little bit, because I wonder how you guys feel about the fact that they bring all these plot threads together, albeit not gracefully, where they get to the wrestling place. Zack kind of wins his match in the spectacular fashion. The two fishermen that are after them come up and hit the dude in the head. But then it just goes to black, and then it just kind of fades up in the hospital, and then it kind of fades to black, and then it fades up in the car, and then it fades, they're going to Florida, and it fades out. I feel like... We skipped over the climax of the movie. And I know the climax of the movie was supposed to be Zack winning, but it's so off-tone and also that it didn't feel like a super powerful moment to me. I would have been okay with it if this movie ending in a brutal, realistic violence because, again, it, it kind of toys with this magicalness that's, that doesn't serve any kind of theme or purpose. Give me that harsh, we're back in reality now, and this is how this has to end. I almost... 
I was kind of anticipating that because it was LaBeouf. You were anticipating the a violent end? It seemed like something was coming to that, but it never did. Did you feel like a climax worked for you, or do you feel no, like that? No, no. There was, um, because it was really only around uh, Zach, because he didn't, he grew, but it wasn't like there was a lesson to be learned in what he did. No, um... I don't want to say too much was going on. I just feel like it was over too soon. Like, I didn't even feel like it was the climax until um, John Hawks, uh, until he shows up with the crowbar, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is when things are finally going to come to a head. And after that realization, there was about 30 seconds left of scene, and then it was all over. I both kind of feel like the movie was too long. It was only 93 minutes, I believe. And also it ended too soon, mainly because, as you just said, it didn't get somewhere. And it, they went some, like, they, they physically went somewhere and things happened. But I kept waiting for a, a clear message, a clear idea of what this was about. And instead, it just, someone decided just to end the movie. The movie might have benefited from, from more, and I very rarely say that. But also, because so much of the movie, when I said it's too long, is because the point was always so elusive to me that as I realized that they were going to have this whole wrestling plot, like him, he was learning how the whole time, but I mean, like, they were going to meet the Saltwater Redneck, and then they were going to do this, and they were going to do this match. I was kind of like... Okay, I don't want to watch this because I know it's not going to go anywhere. And so that's where I say that's where I say it was too long because I was like, can you just get to the point? Like, because I know this is going to be another little Odyssey style side adventure that isn't actually part of a mainline thread. Yeah, you know, regarding the saltwater redneck, I actually kind of uh, like that because as far as indie tropes go, and uh, I'd like to get into those. I enjoyed uh, this one being a subverted indie trope, the whole don't meet your heroes cliche. I really like that, you know, they finally track down this wrestler, and, you know, while he is no longer basking in the glory that he had at the time he made that videotape, uh, I'm assuming in the late 80s, or early 90s, He's not, you know, some bitter asshole who resents people that, you know, like him or believe in him. I also like that scene when they're introduced to him because I like the idea. What the movie could have been is Shia LaBeouf could have got up to his door and said, this kid has come all this way and you have to, you know, how could you be such an awful person? But instead, I like also the other side of that where Shia LaBeouf's like, I'm sorry, I like this isn't your problem. Because really, it's not his problem. That whole scene plays out in a rather unique way that uh, Tyler realizes that, that uh, Saltwater Redneck is retired and doesn't try to guilt him or punish him anyway. He's just like, I'm sorry, this wasn't, the, you know, I didn't realize this was the situation. And then also, Saltwater Redneck or Clint eventually is like, you can, I think there was something in him that was like, actually, I miss those days and I miss being that character. If only whoever wrote, whichever the two writers wrote that scene, wrote the whole movie. Oh, that might have just been their best. <laughs> you want to hit what? What? What indie tropes did you want to hit? Uh, the indie wide angle, the very very wide angle that uh, draws a lot of attention to itself. There were a few of them. Uh, the one I actually kind of liked, even as I you know was clocking it uh, was when they were walking along the sandbar. I actually think most of the visuals they they do look nice, but because. The movie, I think one of the problems is the movie is so inundated with them that you're like, okay, well, you steal all the power of these types of shots because the whole movie is these types of shots. So 
Whereas if you saw, say, you like this, the sandbar shot, like if you didn't see other shots like that throughout the movie up to that point, or not very often, you'd be, that would be very striking to you because it's a very, it's not necessarily how you just shoot a regular scene in a very textbook kind of way. But it's also not super original, but because it would be somewhat original for this movie, it would jump out at you. It's, it'd stand out as an emphasis. It'd be like a highlighter on a scene. Yeah. And there was a point, because this is the beginning of their journey into the unknown. They're stepping away from the familiar. They're going off in that Campbellian sense. Mm. And it is a void. Water is up to their ankles, and there is basically nothing in the background. With the lighting, and the, it's lighted out. So it makes sense. But you go for like another shot like that where uh, they're in the cornfield and it's an aerial shot from a crane or a very high jib just shooting down on them. There's no reason to do that other than the fact that they're in a cornfield and you want to make it look pretty. I think most of the way this movie looks and is written is kind of like a thing where if someone showed me this in short film form, or showed me this script, even in its complete form, uh, when we were at Booker or when I was at Florida State, then I'd be like, this is a really good start. But when you're making a full release, it feels like it's trying too hard. Uh, it's the difference between a student and a master. It's a lot like Garden State. That's what popped into my head. Yeah, no. it's uh... So the movie does... Hey, that's a question. Like, are mental disabilities cute? Oh, well, I mean, first of all, Down syndrome is a genetic disorder, so I want to be clear about that and not completely mislabel it, though right. I believe at least 99%, according to Wikipedia, do have some form of mental disability, and it does vary. And, yeah, it's not necessary for a lot of the people who are born like this to be wards of the state. Um, many can finish high school, some can even do some post-secondary, many uh, hold down jobs. It's where, it's where the movie's kind of strange in the sense that it does show Zach being quite capable, really. And he might need assistance, but it doesn't seem like he would need to be a ward of the state. And I think one of, the th when you ask, you know, is it cute, I think you're referring to some of the times when the movie seems to because he speaks the way he speaks, or not not the style of his speech, but because he's, he says things that, you know, someone without Down syndrome might not, you know, say that at this time. And it's, it's a joke. It's clearly the movie wants you to laugh at it. And so is the movie making fun of him? Or is it saying that he's cute? Or... Because that's where it comes. The movie, does, I think the movie treats him fairly well. But yes, if you're supposed to laugh because he's saying something because he has Down syndrome, does that, where is that on the line of making fun of him versus just showing who he is? Yeah, and I'm not really certain. Like, I felt myself charmed a couple times, but, you know, it's, it's making fun of, like, the childlike logic. And you're they... trying to throw in some sort of, like, purity, so it's a, it's a cute thing. I think the movie mostly handles that pretty well. But also, I don't, I don't personally have any family or close friends with Down syndrome, so I'm sure someone, might, someone more knowledgeable about that living experience might have a different opinion. The movie certainly isn't mean-spiritedly making fun of him in any way. I don't think that ever no, I happens. Don't think so. I think that any, any question about how they 
use him and his character for humor, it's definitely it's definitely something you can debate, I guess. Yeah. How I'd say it. It's only a few times that I wasn't exactly certain where the humor was coming from. I'm really glad that the movie didn't do what I assumed it was going to do when I saw the trailer, which was just use his disorder to be overly sentimental in a really manipulative way. Because mm. I feel like that would have been exploitive and cheap, and that would have sucked. I think I think the writers and the directors were 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 doing their best for sure, or with good intentions. Um, I don't really want to do too much on changes because my change is write a second draft of the film. You have a you have a first draft, which is fine for a first draft. Like the bones are there, and the directors or the actors. I don't know if you want to give the performances any credit to the directors. The performances are good uh, for for the most part, but the story could have been okay. You've got the plot now. You've got. Maybe the glimpses of an arc, but now you need to you need to pare it down and build up, see where your gaps are, and fill them in. But to me, it's too much to say I want to change this or that because I think most of the scenes need a rewrite, and you probably need some new scenes, and you might need to take some scenes out or pare them down. You probably need to take the entire plot point of them being chased by the by the fishermen out because yes. even though that makes sense <clears throat> from what he did, they keep coming back. They only come back like two or three times, and it's out of nowhere. It doesn't flow out of anything. If you were going to keep them in, then make them a more imposing danger that's always on their heels. It gets them into more tense and anxiety-ridden situations. Because instead, they just appear out of nowhere when the plot's too full of smiley montages, so we need to add conflict again. And it, it just doesn't work. You either cut it out or you rewrite that. Changes, guys? Ah, uh, you said mine. Uh, yeah, I largely agree. Because it had a lot of this need to be fleshed out or connected more seamlessly. Because it was definitely punctuated not entirely well. I think my favorite scene is like right at the beginning when Zach tries to break out of the assisted living facility. Damn it, you did it I mean, again! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's a very endearing uh, introduction to this character. And, see, and it uh, really shows Zach as a character with agency. I mean, it seems like after he starts his own story, he's a pretty passive character, like, uh, yeah. until he uh, throws the keys midway through the movie, mm-hmm. and then pretty much never again. I mean, he doesn't even want to wrestle at the end. He gets, you know, pushed into it by Shia LaBeouf, like he's been pushed into everything ever since, like, midway through the first act. Yeah. So, you know, it shows him being creative, it Mm -hmm. shows him being cunning, and it shows him, you know, like, leading his own life and making his own, and driving his own story. It sets his motivation for the movie in general, for getting himself into this trouble, which I know Shia LaBeouf gets him in trouble, but I mean, by, by running away, he gets himself into a little bit of trouble. Because he wants something more. He wants a life, he wants that independence, which he so clearly probably should already have. You know, I didn't hate it, but... I, I just feel like it, it needs it needs a lot of work. Uh, it it has potential, but it just didn't reach it. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Character Arc podcast. Um, you can find us at characterarc.net. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, all at Character Arc. Uh, by the way, rate us on Apple Podcasts because that makes a difference. I'm Richard Burleson. I'm Ted. And our guest has been... 
Aaron Summers. I'm sorry, Aaron. Do you want to say where people can find you? I apologize. <laughs> uh, no worries. Uh, I am uh, at Aaronovich Joker on Twitter. That's one word. A-A-R-O-N-O-V-I-C-H. Joker. Go check out Aaron. All right, guys. Thank you for listening.